You're listening to episode 37. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So Get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutawa here, your host. I am super excited to bring you another super guest. Um, Today's guest is Mr. Stephen Bristol. Stephen, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Absolutely. Fantastic. Stephen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, co-founded um, and built and sold a multi-million dollar SaaS software product called Less Accounting, um, which it sold uh, reportedly for you know good seven figures. Um, we talk about how they designed, built, marketed, and supported this product until it was sold, and, uh, and what Stephen is, um, is doing now. So I'm really excited to dig more into that cool story. With my accounting background, um, I'm really keen to hear how, how this all came to to happen. But Stephen, before we get stuck into your business side of the story, maybe just um, take 30 seconds to tell us a little bit about yourself outside of business. Yeah, sure. So um, I was uh, raised in just outside of Los Angeles, uh, wrote my first bit of software when I was nine years old, uh, never finished college, um, started college actually as a music major. Um, I've, I've been married once. I have three, uh, lovely children. Um, I work from home. I've been doing this for about, uh, 10 years now almost. Um, but I've been working professionally in software for, gosh, I don't know, um, 20 years or longer by now. Um, and, um, what else? I used to race motorcycles, do road racing when I was a kid, um, and yeah, um, I guess that's uh, a little bit about me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so you've been full time in your own business for what ten years? You said. Yeah, in January it'll be ten years. Wow! Congratulations, man. That's that's amazing. Thank you. Now I know your 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 big business, uh, less accounting. Um, you sold maybe earlier this year. I think we'll get more into that. But um, what what are your current um, core revenue streams, or are you still sort of um, working out what you're going to do next? No, no, we definitely have it down. Um, so the thing we're doing primarily is um, we're doing consulting work, helping other people build businesses um, that make money and make their, make uh, people happy. Um, so we're, um, you know, utilizing all of our talents, everything we learned over the last uh, almost 10 years with less accounting and helping other, uh, other SaaS products. Um, get to market or, or do better in the market. Um, we also have a, um, a business division called lessfilms.com where we make marketing videos for other people. 
Um, so uh, those are the, the, the two um, sources of revenue right now. Fantastic. Well, um, I want to dig a bit more into, um, you know, less accounting and, um, you know, what that was about, um, how the idea came about. But before we do that, how did the journey for you as an entrepreneur start? It's actually kind of funny because I never really wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never wanted to run my own business. Um, and the reason is because both of my parents ran their own businesses. Um, and um, I saw how hard they worked. And I never wanted to work that hard in my life. Um, and so, like, my whole career, I kind of avoided um, starting my own business. I always kind of felt like sooner or later I'd be forced into it. Um, and my, it was interesting. And so my career path was always, you know, um, I, I could never hold on. Like, I would leave a job after um, the long, or rather the longest I ever had a job was in a year and a half. And um, so finally I found myself uh, in 2006 here in Jacksonville, um, at Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, I was doing contract work for the city of Jacksonville. And um, we they they moved locations and all of a sudden I was sitting in a big uh, like half height cube farm and you know like everyone looking could see everyone all the time and for someone who's kind of half introverted like I am um it was really uncomfortable and so that was actually kind of the final straw um and I quit and started my own uh and started less everything um and so that was after Alan and I had already been working on less accounting and um so Alan came on board as a um uh, founding partner after just a few weeks and, and shut down operations on his own business. Um, and we've been together ever since. Um, and, uh, I definitely have worked as hard as my parents have, um, at least in the beginning. Um, so, you know, but I did it. So, uh, it was, uh, so that's kind of how things, you know, got started. So how did the idea come about? So you, what's your background? You're, you're a developer, right? And Alan is, um, uh, yeah, designer? exactly. So Alan had his own consulting company. Um, he was living in Birmingham, Alabama, which is where he went to college. And that's where his, um, wife is from. And, um, I moved to Jacksonville from Gainesville, Florida, uh, and I was living in Gainesville cause that's where my ex-wife is from. Um, so we moved to Jacksonville for work and, um, I started, uh, so this is like 2005 and I was already doing Ruby on Rails. And so I was curious who in town is doing Ruby on Rails. So I Googled for Ruby on Rails Jacksonville and I got two hits. One was for a meetup, um, where, uh, the, the people who gave the talk, you know, didn't know as much as I did already. Um, and then the second was Alan's company. But when I went to his website, um, it said he was in Birmingham, Alabama. So I sent him this email saying, hey, you know, you, you uh, showed up in the search results for Jacksonville. You know, are you in Jacksonville? Or are you in uh, Alabama? And so it turns out his sister used to live in Jacksonville. So he was SEOing for Jacksonville. And that's why he showed up just because he was, he was, you know, keeping his options open with SEO or using SEO as a tool to, to keep his options open. Um, so, um, I started doing some side work for Alan. He had this, um, this project that was kind of in trouble and, uh, I helped get him back on track. I, I charged him, uh, more than anyone else had ever charged him to date. I charged 50 bucks an hour, if you can imagine. Um, and, uh, uh, I got the project back on track, and then um, and one of the things that um, 
I guess from his perspective that he liked about me as a developer was I was the first developer he ever worked with who actually um, cared about him and not just, you know, tried to make as much money as I could. So, for example, Alan would come to me and say, okay, the client wants this, you know, these set of changes. And I would ask, okay, you know, no problem. Um, did the client give you more money for that? Because if not, you know, you're just, you're paying for the changes, right? Because you have to pay me for my time. And so it was things like that that really kind of impressed Alan about me. Um, and so um, when that project, when I, once it was back on track, of course, Alan went back to his other developer and, because um, uh, they charged less. And um, Alan and I started talking about uh, doing a side project together. What could we do as a, as a SaaS product, you know? Um, and, um, and we came, you know, we both, so he had this list of ideas. And one of the things on the list was an expense tracker. And that was something that I kind of had in my head as well. And so we said, okay, let's, let's start that. And um, we came up with the name Less Accounting. Um, and, um, uh, and then we started the business and came up with the name Less Everything, and um, and it just kind of went from there. So it started as an expense tracker. Yeah, and uh, and then we had well, so it's it's actually so one of the you know I have this list of the biggest mistakes I've made in business, and one of them was was right at the beginning with feature bloat, um, and we were already kind of into the whole like we had you know the, the philosophy of less at the time. Um, we had already you know we had both independently read Getting Real by Thirty Seven Signals, and it was really in- inspiring for both of us. Um, but I'm so cheap that I didn't want to pay fresh books uh for or blink sale for invoicing so i said well let me just put it in because we were already doing consulting work by by this point i said well let me just put that into less accounting right and so it went from and so once we had uh invoicing now we needed a way to track if invoices were got paid so now we had deposits and all of a sudden it was real accounting software um as opposed to just being you know well, I mean, we could have been like Harvest, right? Like an expense tracker and time tracker, and that's it. But because I, I was cheap, uh, we got into like actually writing real accounting software, which which um, I think was a big mistake um, because for such a small team um, to tackle a problem area so big, I mean, I th- you know at, at, at the risk of being um, self-aggrandizing, I mean, I think it's pretty amazing we were able to do what we did with such a small team. Um, but um, uh, it would have been, I think, a much easier road if we had if we had had smaller software, even smaller than like, like just a smaller problem to solve, like just expense tracking. That's incredible, though. Um, and you're right. I mean, you know, having achieved that, that that was amazing. Um, so I want to dig a bit more into that story. So. I, I like the way you say amazing. Can you say that again? <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, Tell me, how did uh, you know that you will be able to successfully execute on the idea? I, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Um, I, I guess, you know, we never thought about it. I mean, it was, I guess the answer would be just uh, just arrogance, right? Like, uh, I mean, we just, you know, failure was never an option. I mean, it was just, it just didn't even enter our minds. Like, what does failure look like? The other thing was, I guess, you know, our bar of success was really low, 
right? Like we didn't have some grandiose plan of being bought out or having or, or ever selling and having any kind of exit, right? Our bar of success was, hey, if we can pay our salaries and feed our families and not be beholden to anyone else, that's success, right? And so um, it seemed, you know, a hundred percent doable to, to have such, to, to achieve such a small goal. And again, you have to remember this is 2006, 2007, right? I mean, this is when, you know, Twitter was first out. I mean, for example, I'm user number like 7,200 and something on Twitter, right? Like, like, you know, when a new SaaS app would come out, someone would tweet about it and we'd all go like everyone on Twitter would go and check it out. Right. That, I mean, that's how big the community was, right? So it's not like launching a SaaS app today where, you know, you're in, no matter what you think of and what your product is, you're in this field of, of you're in a crowded marketplace, right? Um, so when we launched Less Accounting, um, there were, uh, like, there was um, QuickBooks was on the market, uh, FreshBooks, and BlinkSale um, and then us, right? And FreshBooks and BlinkSale were really just invoicing apps. I know FreshBooks does a lot more than just invoicing now, but at the time it was ju- it was just invoicing. So really, there were only two softwares to choose from if you could, you know, if you wanted to track expenses and the whole the whole thing. And that was us and QuickBooks. Now there there's fifteen or twenty or thirty accounting softwares that are all relatively legitimate. Um, so it, it's it's a completely different world. So, you know, the the idea that we wouldn't be able to find enough users, um, enough people to who liked less accounting to to pay us so that we could support our families, uh, it never entered our mind. Like, of course we could. Yeah, it's a very different landscape, a different, very different world today. It's a it's interesting because I just went on Google just today earlier today and um, I typed in less accounting and the first um, software that came up was Sasu, so that was interesting. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we sold less accounting. Um, the deal closed uh, the I think it was like the last day of May, something like that of this year, and so I, I don't know what. Um, and we did. Um, eight weeks of transition. Um, and during that transition, it was mostly just answering questions. Like I, I think there was only one time we actually did something with the code or the servers to, to assist them while they were still figuring stuff out on their own. Um, so I can't comment on to, you know, as to w- what they're doing now for SEO or this or that. I do know that, that QuickBooks came up first for a long time because QuickBooks was really, um, hitting, uh, SEO hard on less accounting and buying the word less accounting, um, on, on AdWords and that sort of thing. So, you know, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know who, um, who, yeah, I don't know what they're doing or, or not doing or whatever to. So did they see you as a threat? Do you think Stevens QuickBooks? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, our, so one of the things we did for marketing, right? Cause we don't, we never had a, a huge marketing budget or a huge budget for anything. Um, was, um, and this is Alan's idea. So, so Alan had the idea for the first to be the first Twitter trolls. And so what he realized was, and this is, you know, this is like, I don't know if it was 2007 or early 2008. Um, and, and no one was doing any kind of doing anything with Twitter and marketing at all yet. And Alan realized that, um, that 
like 99% of the tweets that contain the word QuickBooks uh, were negative. Right. And so, so we made a site called WeAllHateQuickBooks.com. What? <laughs> yeah. And, and we just put up the fire hose from Twitter when you could still do that, when there were, you know, there still wasn't that many people on it. So you could, you could do the whole fire hose, but it was just on the word QuickBooks. And it was, we didn't filter it at all. And it was just negative, 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 negative. And so we definitely um, were on their radar. Um, I remember when, you know, with the first UI of less accounting, we segregated the main uh, components into money in and money out. And then uh, two years later, QuickBooks had done the same thing on their app. Um, and I don't think that's coincidence. So I think, you know, we're definitely on the radar. We never spoke to them or anything. So I, you know, I can't say that, that, that they were actually aware of us. Um, but, um, you know, we had some indications that they were. Yeah. And how did you find your first paying clients? Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. So again, for us, it was really easy, right? Like we were on Twitter and all of our friends were on Twitter. Um, and everyone was technical and, you know, lots of people doing consulting or, or trying to start their own, their own business. Um, so we just tweeted out, Hey, we just launched this thing and, and people knew we were working on something. And so immediately people, um, uh, signed up and it was funny. So I, so when, um, when, um, David, um, Hansen, um, uh, launched um, Basecamp, right, with Jason Fried over at 30, what was 37 Signals. He had done this thing I read about where he um, he didn't write the billing code because everyone got a free trial for 30 days, so he didn't write the billing code until... Um, so when they launched, there was no billing code, and then by the time the first person would have been billed, he'd written the, the billing code, right? And so I did, I did the same thing, right? We could launch you know that, that much earlier, and um, so immediately we had people signing up and I actually didn't finish the billing code because I was so busy with consulting and, and, and everything else. Um, and so, th- uh, you know, the first people who signed up for less accounting actually got an extra like week for free uh, on their trial because the billing code wasn't done. Um, and so, um, you know, for us, it was never, you know, th- those first customers were just easy. Um, and in fact, <clears throat> You know, I don't remember. I think the I think at first there were there were two or three or four paying customers like right at the beginning, um, and then every month that that number just grew. And so you know we would watch that number and watch it grow, and you know watch it go to twelve, and then you know on up. And um, it was um, it got harder as the number got bigger, um, but you know we were at hundreds. Uh, I think we were at a hundred, like a hundred users, paying, uh, users, paying customers, um, within just a few months. Um, I mean, I'd have to go back and look to, to, to know for sure, but, um, you know, it, it just, it, it didn't take a lot of effort on our part to go out and get new customers because, you know, the, the community in the world was so small at the time. And, and was your growth strategy then continuing on with the, with the Twitter, Twitter approach? What did you change? Yeah, I don't know that we ever, like, had a growth strategy back then. Um, you know, you can understand that, that I, was, I was a developer and, and Alan was a designer, and we are just trying to figure everything else out. I mean, he comes from um, an entrepreneurial family as well, so we had that go- kind of going for us. Um, but, um, you know, we, we didn't have like long-term plans and we just didn't know better, you know? And so, uh, and we didn't have any kind of marketing budget. Um, 
So we, um, you know, we're still bootstrapping less accounting from consulting. And so, um, we were, we were constantly, you know, taking the money from consulting work and then paying people to work on less accounting. Um, and so it didn't actually, less accounting didn't support the, the whole business, uh, for several years. I mean, it took a, it took a while before we were making enough money that we could stop doing consulting work. Um, and, um, and then even when we stopped doing consulting work, like, at, you know, on, I think once a year or so, we'd have a friend who would ask us for help and, you know, we wouldn't say no to a friend. And so we would still do a consulting gig just to help someone out. Um, so, um, yeah, so we, you know, we didn't have a growth strategy. We were just kind of like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's do this, um, uh, and, and so, so that's like, you know, Alan had the idea for we all hate QuickBooks and, and, uh, those types of things. Um, then, uh, you know, what, we, one of the things we knew for sure was that word of mouth is really good. Um, and so we started, we were going to lots of conferences and, and we weren't really networking. We were actually genuinely trying to make friends. Uh, and that worked out really well for us. Um, because a recommendation from a friend is much stronger than, you know, a Google search result. Um, and so, so we did that. I started going and speaking at Ruby conferences and Rails conferences and general tech conferences all around the world. I actually have been as far as India speaking at conferences. Um, and so we were doing, the, the, you know, that, that was our main marketing strategy at the time. Um, and it was just to, to, to do whatever we can to, to reach real people, um, you know, in, in person at conferences, whether we're just attending or speaking. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, much later that we actually started doing like, you know, long, longer term planning and that sort of thing. So how did you deal with the accounting aspect of things? You know, did you always understand how, you know, invoicing works and receivables and payables and you know, fixed assets, et cetera, et cetera, or is that something that you were you're bringing in experts to help you sort of get those into the accounting system, if you like? Yeah, so we, we actually, you know, the, the whole philosophy behind less accounting uh, had been to make something that um, you don't have to be an accountant to know how to use. And so um, neither one of us had a real accounting background. My mother was an accountant, and when I was in high school, I did some work for her uh, at her office doing data entry, right? I wasn't even really doing bookkeeping, just data entry. Um, but that gave me enough of a foundation um, to have an understanding for, for most of the concepts. Um, and um, we, you know, like I said, Alan and I both, um, all of our parents had their own businesses. And so um, we, uh, we could, you know, we've always been around and heard about these ideas, right? About clients and money in, money out and, and all that stuff. And ultimately... For a small business, um, the uh, the bookkeeping is actually relatively straightforward, right? Um, it, and it was years before we added things like fixed assets. And and um, the trick with that was um, and and depreciation and stuff. And um, like the, like for example, the trick with depreciation was it's such a foreign concept for most business owners, for most small business owners who don't know anything about accounting, which was our our, our you know um, prime customer our ideal customer. Um, and so how do you explain it to them in a way that makes it understandable without, without 
knowing what it is and having to explain depreciation and the tax implications and all of that sort of thing. And what we finally came up with was when you create an expense, it's really just a drop down that asks, how long are you going to be using the product? Um, and that's it. And then, you know, the, you could pick, you know, uh, like I think it was one to three years, then we'd give an example, like that might be a piece of software, uh, you know, five years might be a computer, that, that sort of thing. And people could just pick. And then from that, we could create a, a, a depreciation schedule. Right. And, and so, yeah, it's things like that, that we, we spend a lot of time focusing on putting mental energy into how do you keep, how do you take a, a difficult concept and make it, you know, boil it down to its essence and make it mm. easy to understand. And then um, you decided to add on like bookkeeping services. Is that right? Yeah. And actually we, we did it a few times. The, uh, the first time we did it, um, we kind of just, uh, um, and we had we had bookkeepers that were working for us uh, in support, and so we just kind of gave them the task of okay, here handle these customers now, um, do do their books, and and it didn't it it didn't go over very well. I mean, we had people who signed up, we had people that stayed a long time uh, on it as long, but then eventually we discontinued it because uh, it just re- it really wasn't working. And so the last time we did it, um, the most recent time, we um, we really took. Uh, a great deal of effort and time in the planning phase and figuring out processes, communication. Um, we're using Basecamp to manage the, each client. And so we actually wrote a lot of um, automated code so that when someone would get a bookkeeping account, we would set up all their stuff in Basecamp and a way to to modify Basecamp so that we could have statuses on tasks and it would automatically email customers if if they had a task assigned to them they hadn't done it um and um uh and so once we did that then the bookkeeping service actually in this in its current incarnation was doing very well um because things were actually you know things were getting done and and excuse me for the most part customers were very very happy with it and did you keep that service offering up until the sale yeah that was part of the sale yeah so what's Basecamp? i've I've heard a few people talk about it but i thought it was like some mentoring program or something no it yeah it's yeah it's basecamp.com it's a project management software started by um they they renamed the company Basecamp, but originally the company was called 37 signals um and um they uh, and, and the the technical partner um, David Hanmeyer Hansen is uh, was the creator of Ruby on Rails, um, which is how they got so popular and so famous. And they they, they published a book, uh, actually a couple books, but you know that first book they published was uh, really inspirational to Alan and I. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's it, that that's what it is. Okay. And Ruby on Ruby on Rails is is a development language, or what do you call that? Yeah, yeah, it's a program programming language or or framework. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I just just in case somebody's listening and wondering what what's that? What's that? That's great. Um, man, that's good. That's good. And um, so, how long did it take for the business to really become you know profitable, where you guys were paying yourselves market wage and still still keeping profits? I know you talk about your consulting work, so. You're still consulting as a developer before that? Yeah. And so um, we actually were making so much money in consulting that we started paying ourselves market wage still way back in 2007. Um, and um, uh, But it, like I said, it took a good three or four years before the 
income, the revenue from less accounting was able to support the all aspects of the business and we're able to stop doing consulting work so it does it does kind of take that time for that growth as well to come in and did it sort of have any moment where you felt there was a, a breakthrough moment in the business no never no it was always just kind of steady growth um and and what's interesting is there was a time um around that three, four year mark where we were getting really frustrated because we'd never seen this, this claimed hockey stick growth that everyone talks about. And so, so we called up a friend of ours who had this wildly successful, um, SaaS product, um, and, and asked him like, you know, what are we doing wrong? Like when, how, what do we have to do to get this hockey stick growth? And what he told us was that they had also never seen hockey stick growth, that they had only ever seen steady growth. I mean, it was good growth, but it was just steady, never hockey stick. Um, and so I, I kind of, you know, reevaluated my perception about everything that that we're hearing and what people are writing and what the, the pundits in the in SAS, uh, the SAS world say. Um, I, I think that um you know, the people that are out there making money on content in the SaaS world make their money on content. And if they told you how hard it was, they wouldn't be making as much money. Right. I mean, part of the allure is that it's so easy. You know, recurring revenue is king. Just put something out there, put out an MVP and uh, and then the money will start rolling in. And um, we have another friend who has uh, another very large business, uh, very successful, and he has seen hockey stick growth and hit. So I actually do know of one anecdotal uh, data point where there was hockey stick growth, but only one out of everyone I've known and all the stories I've heard, which is all, I mean, when you look at the, the statistics and the numbers of the number of businesses and products out there, you know, my, my inside stories that people have told me is very uh not statistically significant it's all anecdotal uh in relation to the the size of of the businesses but yet i've yet i've only ever heard of one business that actually has seen hockey stick growth um and so so my my point there is that i think as you know for anyone out there who's an entrepreneur or thinking about starting their own business is to reset your expectations right and realize that the people that you you hear about the case studies um the famous people um you know the the amazons and 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 the base camps and whoever the, these are outliers right this you know you can't you can't plan your life and your business on on the thought that you're going to have the same type of success and the same rate of success that these people have had, they're outliers. And so you have to ignore them and you have to have a different strategy and a different set of expectations, um, which isn't to say not to do it. I think, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't ever go back to having a job, um, but um, it, it does mean to have more realistic expectations and that that will, you know, having more realistic expectations, having a, a, you know, different or lower bar of success will probably make a more successful business because you'll be a lot less frustrated uh, at yourself, at your business, at your customers. Like, why isn't this working for me? When in reality it is working, it just takes a heck of a lot longer and a lot more work than you thought it would. Yeah. Now that's a that's a very, really good answer, and um, and I guess for, from from a compounding effect, maybe you do see that sort of um, progression where you know ten percent of a thousand customers gives you an, an extra new one hundred, whereas ten percent of 
one just gives you maybe a fraction of a, of, a, of, of, of growth. But um, but yeah, point, you know, you got to make a good point. It took you a number of years before you actually became really profitable, and then more years just to keep growing. So, but I want to switch a little bit and talk about fear of failure. Um, a lot of people are held back because maybe they've still got a good job, uh, etc. But how did that play out for you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's it, I, I'm probably not the right person to ask for that. Ask that question to because I don't have a real fear of failure. Um, and, and I, and I think I'm kind of, uh, I'm an outlier in this. Um, you know, I was born in Eastern Europe. My family escaped the iron curtain when I was a baby. I was raised in Los Angeles. My parents have, uh, both have advanced degrees. Um, I'm, I'm a white male, uh, raised in, you know, in, in, in the United States. I mean, I've had all the privileges. I've had all the advantages. Um, my parents were really loving, um, and instilled in me this confidence that I can do anything. Um, and, and growing up trying to find my way and find out, figure out who I, who I am, I developed this, um, and and this fearlessness and i actually have a tattoo uh in my own handwriting that's, that's just the word fearless um and and so it's it's um it's it's interesting um you know i, I we so you know, to see people who are afraid to make the leap. Um, I was never afraid to make the leap or rather my fear wasn't revolving around, um, fear of failure. It was fear of hard work. Like I didn't want to work that hard. Um, and so, uh, in 2009, we started this thing called less conf and we, we, we did this Conference and we did for five years. The first one we did here in Jacksonville and we, we organized the whole thing and planned the whole thing in seven weeks. We had, uh, Derek Sivers was one of the speakers. Gary Vaynerchuk was one of the speakers. Jason Freed, uh, videoed in, um, for a half hour. Uh, Dessen Owen of Intercom. David Hauser of, of Grasshopper, um, was, was there. Mike McDermott of FreshBooks was there. I mean, we had like some really heavy hitter names come and these were all just kind of friends of ours. Um, and, and, and so we started doing this conference every year and, and one of the ongoing themes throughout the conference was, you know, just stop being afraid and just do it. Um, we've got a friend, uh, Alex Hellman, um, who was, really the, the, the creator of the co-working space movement, um, in Philadelphia, which then spread across the country and across the world. Um, and, and, uh, it's, you know, the, the, the thought of being so paralyzed by fear of failure, um, or fear of anything that you don't do it is really kind of foreign to me. Um, you know, my answer always is, just do it. Just, just, you know, um, try doing an hour a day of whatever it is, uh, on your new business if you don't have the time. Right. Um, and, but, but it's, so I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really understand that fear of failure. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of that is, is because of the, the privilege I've had growing up. Um, and, um, and, and the way my parents raised me, um, and, and Alan had, you know, similar experiences, right? I mean, he was raised a white male, uh, in, in a town, a small town in Florida where, uh, his family was well known throughout the town. Um, they had their own 
car wash business for generations. Um, and Alan played football. And so he, he was constantly, you know, since he was young, he actually went to college on, on a football scholarship. And so he had these, these coaches throughout his life that instilled in him this, uh, pressure for putting in more effort and trying harder and not failing. Um, and, uh, and so, so, so I don't think he's ever had, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's had the fear of failure, but I certainly haven't seen it in the last 10 years. Um, you know, I mean, he has a fear of not doing enough. And so he kicks himself in the butt and works harder, which isn't to say he doesn't ever not do enough. He always does too much. Like, I mean, he, he's a hard worker. He's a, he's a good guy. Um, so yeah, you know, if for anyone out there who's who's afraid of failing, you know, I I, I say either do it or, or just you know don't do it, right? Like it's you know because ultimately, I think you know like Alan and I would look at like for example the first Lesconf, right? Like, and and we would we're trying to decide should we do this or should we not do it, and we just looked at like well what's the worst thing that can happen, right? The worst thing that can happen is we'd get some ticket sales, we'd get some speakers, and we'd have to refund the money and call the whole thing off, right? And like, you know, ultimately in the scheme of things, that's not too bad, right? I mean, you know, it, I, mean, I mean, it's not like we're putting up our own money. It's not like we're risking our families or our, our, our livelihoods, our safety, our security, nothing like that. We're, we're really risking looking like clowns. And we do... You know, we look like clowns all the time because we're silly and, you know, it's part of our marketing. It's part of who we are is to let just be silly and, and do stupid stuff. Um, and so looking at it with that perspective of well, what's the worst that can happen, um, it was like, yeah, let's let's do this. And, and the way it worked is um, I sent Derek Sivers an email and asked him if he would speak. And we, we just said, OK, if Derek says yes, then we're going to do it. If he says no, we'll think harder. And Derek replied and said he'd love to do it. And then, boom, it was on. I want to I wanna pivot a little bit and, and ask you a little bit about um, you know, some of the things that you might have done philosophy-wise in your life and, um, and how you operate sometimes. Um, so how, help me rank these in your own perspective. Faith, fun, family, finances, friendships. Okay, so faith is like, like dead last. Uh, um, I was raised Roman Catholic, and then after my parents split up, my mother revealed to us that we were Jewish. By the time I was 12 years old, I was thoroughly confused and started doing like Eastern philosophy. And then in, in my 30s, I became an atheist and, and, you know, got really into rational thought and science. Uh, so faith is way down at the bottom of the list. And the other four are, um, all at the top of the list and it's a rotate, you know, for me, it's not like this is number one, this is number two. It's, um, these are all number ones. And the question is, which has the priority at the moment? So for example, if a stock is tanking, I've got to sell it or, or buy more. Right. And at that moment you have to make a decision. So that becomes number one. Um, if my kid is standing next to me crying, then I hang up the phone and deal with my kid because that becomes number one. Uh, if it's, if it's the end of the day and I'm just wiped, you know, fun and friendships become number one. Right. Um, or, or, you know, fun might be introverting and just being alone. Right. Um, so, um, I, you know, to, uh, ranking those in, you know, in any other order, I, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to do it. It's just, it's a varying, um, uh, an always varying list. And I think that, you know, we used to get this question a lot of how do you, um, um, manage, um, life 
versus business, right? And and what we what you know, it, it took me a good seven eight years before I finally figured out what the answer is. Because at first, when we started the business, um, there was no there was no question, right? It was everything was business. I mean, in two thousand seven, I worked forty four hundred hours that year. So for those listening, what that means is I worked sixteen hours a day. Uh, on average, every day for a year, uh, I got f- four hours of sleep a night. And so, what what happened? And we actually had our last kid was born in October of 2006. So three months before I started the business. And so, two, 2007 starts. Uh, I start the business, and 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 I'm just working all the time. Like Alan would go to bed at 11 feeling guilty because I was still at work. Um, and, um, and then Saturday would roll around and somewhere between Saturday afternoon and Saturday night, I would stop working. Um, my mother would come over and sit with the kids and my, uh, ex-wife, then wife, and I would have like a date night, um, which would mean, you know, we'd go to a nice restaurant or we'd go over to friends and maybe we'd drink and, you know, just, just cut loose. And then we'd come home, uh, I'd go to sleep, wake up Sunday morning and start again. And I did that for a year. Um, and so it, you know, it's so, so in 2007, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a very successful business because I put in that effort and because Alan put in great effort. Um, but, um, so there was no work life balance. It was all work, right? I mean, the Saturday afternoons was all I could do to, to, to give my wife something. Um, and, um, and then um, what I realized later was that you get to this point of of priorities and where where you're you're not where you've got you know you've got money kids um, business you know family and then friends and fun and that sort of thing and the priority shifts not based on what the everyone else's needs are but based on what my needs are right so every one of those things is mostly okay and so like if i needed a break i could go and, and take a break if i needed to spend time with my family i could do that if i needed to spend time on the business i would do that just depending on what 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 my needs were and then that shifts again later and finally I, i've got some some you know business is good enough where where uh you know i don't have to like if I, like i could take a day off anytime i wanted or a week off it doesn't really matter um and and you know, everyone, the kids are good and, you know, I've got, got plenty, you know, my friends are good and all that sort of thing. So, so it just works itself into a balance. Um, but it, it, for me, it's, it's all priorities on the moment. Yeah. That was a huge schedule at the beginning. Uh, and one of my, one of the questions I ask is, um, you know, give us a look into how a day in your life was when you started versus a day in your life today. So you've given us a day in your life when you started, you know, 16 hour days, you know, just grinding and grinding. What about towards the end before you sold the business? How did your days look like? Um, they were a lot closer to what my days are now, which is like really mostly relaxed. I mean, run, you know, since we sold less accounting, I've had basically zero business stress. I mean, a little bit here, a little bit there, but, um, most of my stress was lifted when we sold less accounting. And, 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 and of course, you know, going through the due diligence and the sale process was a great deal of stress. So that all went away. Um, and so it was this huge, um, reduction in stress. Um, so before we sold less accounting, you know, I mean, it was, it, it was, you know, the daily stuff was, um, 
you know, making sure the team's on track, making sure features and bugs are getting done, um, checking in with employees and, and that, and all that sort of thing, you know, following up with customers as needed, um, making sure that, um, you know, our budgets are being, um, uh, or not being over, over, like we're not missing the budgets. We're not spending too much, that sort of thing. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm daily checking in with Alan, of course. And, um, uh, and, 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 you know, just kind of typical business kind of stuff. Um, whereas, um, whereas now it's like, uh, you know, we had this, this, um, this call scheduled for 10 a.m. And so last night I went out and saw, uh, my tickets to see Neil deGrasse Tyson live. So I went to that and then I went out with a friend for drinks afterwards and it was a friend I hadn't seen in a while. And, uh, she was wondering, like, you know, how late can I stay out? And, uh, and I said, well, I don't have to be, I don't have anything till 10 in the morning, so I can kind of stay as late as I want, right? And so it's that kind of, like, I, like if, if I didn't get up and, and start the day with checking in with everyone, I just do it later. It doesn't really matter. You know, I can kind of do what I want to do, <clears throat> excuse me, do what I want to do, which is an amazing freedom. Mm. Well, congratulations for achieving that through all the hard work, you know. Um, you know, coming to the top of the hour, so I want to ask you, what are the two books that you would, um, you know, say are great reads based on, you know, for, for entrepreneurs specifically? Yeah, so let me preface this by saying I hate business books. Like, I don't read them anymore um, because I think, generally speaking, they really should be like a 10, you know, a five-page blog post um, that to, to publish a book, they have to um, um, turn into, you know, 150, 200, 250 pages worth of, of filler. So I hate business books. Gigantic waste of time. When I read, I tend to read fiction and literature and that sort of thing. Um, so, it, but if we have to talk about business books, I would say that Getting Real um, by uh, um, 37 Signals, Jason Fried, David Hanmeyer Hansen, um, is is definitely one of the, the books that changed uh the way I look at business, um, and and um, and if I had to think of a second business book, you know, this might sound kind of trite, and so let's preface by saying I don't read business books because I hate them. But I don't know about f- ten, maybe fifteen years ago, my dad made me read *Rich Dad Poor Dad* by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, which is like the real estate book. Um, and so that was before I started Less Everything, and it really gave me the idea of recurring revenue and passive income and getting out of the rat race. Um, and so, so although the book is, you know, kind of silly now uh, and, and I would say trite, um, but I, I, th- I think that getting that foundation and having some exposure to that idea and, you know, the way to wealth is, is uh, you know, um, was, was really good for me um, and changed my perspective on things. Um, that's amazing. I think that's a, that's a good book. I read it um, many, many years ago as, as well and uh, still, still, you know, lean on some of those principles. So, so thanks for sharing that. Um, what is the best way for people to connect with you, Stephen? So uh, lesseverything.com. Uh, you can reach me at Steve at Less Everything um, or, um, you know, Stephen Bristol on Twitter. Um, yeah, reach out. We'll, uh, we'd love to help with uh, help someone uh, 
build their business online, take an existing product, whatever, or do marketing films for people. Um, yeah, definitely reach out. Or if you just want some, just want to chat and want to run an idea by me, you know, see, see, uh, if, if, uh, get some feedback, uh, you know, reach out. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for that. Before I ask my last question, I really want to just acknowledge you for everything that you've done, you know, for stepping out and now for, you know, enjoying the rewards of that. And even for spending your time here with us on the business generous community, just sharing your story. That's absolutely amazing for us. Um, I love the way you say amazing. <laughs> Thanks, man. Now for the last question, Stephen, when all is said and done, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for and tell us why? Uh, I don't, I, I, I'm not interested in legacy. Uh, I want to leave my, my kids. Um, I'd, I'd like to leave them some money, but more importantly, I want to uh, leave them uh, a, a very good idea uh, and belief in self and that they can do anything the way my parents instilled that in me um, and a self-confidence that, that lets them know that they can go out and do whatever they want to do and, and um, uh, you know, that they can sit at any table in the world, right? That's why they have to learn how to use a fork and knife so that at any table they sit down to, they're not uncomfortable. Um, and that to me is more, is, is, is the biggest thing I can do to the world, for the world or, 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 um, and legacy. And then if I can leave them some money so they can get ahead in the world, they can get, get a leg up. That would be great. Um, as far as what other people think of me and, you know, if I'm remembered, I mean, I'm dead. I don't care, you know? Cool. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Thanks for being honest, mate. Um, look, thank you for your time. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with um, me and Stephen today. Hope you had as much fun as I did. And more importantly, I hope you that you can get your hopes up that you are good enough to chase your dreams. Uh, remember to head to businessjournals.com for all the show notes. Type in Stephen in the search bar and his show notes will appear with everything you talked about. And to connect with Stephen, just go to lesseverything.com or Stephen or Steve at LessEverything.com. Yeah, either one of those. Yeah, yeah, Hey, thanks for being on the Business Journals podcast today, Stephen, uh, for sharing your story. Absolutely. Absolutely grateful. You're a true business general. Thanks so much, Davis. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time. Hey, what's up, Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.